What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, business leaders respond to the stunning scenes at the U.S. Capitol. Melody Hobson of Ariel Investments on the stock markets shrugging off political crisis. Despite the travesty that we saw, the images that are hard to forget, that I never expected to see in my lifetime, despite all of that, in terms of the underpinnings, the foundation of the U.S. economy, nothing changed. And Carlisle's David Rubenstein on the responsibility of the C-suites and employers of America. It's important for the business community to make it clear that we are Americans who care about the democratic process. It's clear that democracy had a bit of a meltdown. We need to fix the system. It's Friday, January 8th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. In the wake of Wednesday's violent breach of the U.S. Capitol, business leaders have spoken out, condemning the rioters' effort to disrupt American democracy. Some of those leaders, like famed activist investor Nelson Peltz, confessed that his support for President Donald Trump is a mistake. What happened yesterday is a disgrace, and as an American, I'm embarrassed. You know, I didn't vote for Trump in 16. I voted for him in this past election, November. Today, I'm, I'm sorry I did that. The National Association of Manufacturers, a trade group that has been supportive of the president's economic agenda, went out in front Wednesday, calling on Vice President Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment and begin proceedings to remove Donald Trump from office and keep him from ever running again. Over the last four years, and this last year of 2020 in particular, business leaders have weighed in on politics again and again. Corporations and our public spheres are intertwined like never before. We've seen the very richest of Americans, billionaires, express preference for candidates. Investors like Stephen Ross, Peter Thiel, and New York real estate developer Richard Lefrac have all unapologetically supported President Trump over the years. Palantir CEO Alex Karp famously aligned himself with the Trump administration in the company's preliminary IPO filing in August of 2020. He called out fellow Silicon Valley giants for being unpatriotic. His company has contracts with the Pentagon and ICE, but this week, speaking to the Washington Post, Karp struck a different political tone. There's a certain monicum of adult leadership necessary to run a significant organization of any kind, whether it's a university, uh, a newspaper, a church, a synagogue, a mosque. Uh, this, this is below that line, and, and we shouldn't tolerate it. In some ways, Donald Trump may have helped bring these people deeper into the political sphere, these business leaders, ones who've praised him and ones like Apple's Tim Cook, who've quietly worked with him, have proved crucial to the president's efforts and successes in office. From woohoo market tweets to corporate tax cuts to President Trump's unorthodox involvement in corporate deal making. We're looking at you, TikTok. So all this means what CEOs have to say matters. For Wall Street leader Melody Hobson, speaking up is included in her job description. She's co-CEO of the first African-American-led asset manager, Ariel Investments. And back in June, while the country reeled from the largest civil rights protests in decades, a very different kind of political unrest, 
she joined our TV broadcast with a call to action for her fellow business leaders. I did a speech at DealBook where I said I was waiting for a corporate Kaepernick in reference to Colin Kaepernick and what he gave up for his beliefs, peacefully protesting the death of Black people in America unlawfully. I have to say that corporate America talk is cheap. You know, I've talked about the fact that, say, we're working on diversity in a, in a company is unacceptable to me because in corporate America, we don't work on anything else. What must we do? Hold ourselves accountable in corporate America. Set targets like we set targets on everything else. Incentivize people. Today, after violence at the U.S. Capitol over the transfer of American power, we are seeing record highs on Wall Street. It's a weird thing to try to understand. Melody Hobson joined Squawk Box again. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. It seems that uh, markets appear undaunted by the social unrest in this country. We saw it last May after the death of George Floyd and again this week. For some insight and commentary on this apparent disconnect, we're joined this morning by Melody Hobson, co-CEO and president of Aerial Investments. Melody, it's great to see you. Uh, there's so much to talk about since the last time uh, we had an opportunity to do this right here on Squawk Box. Um, and I wanted to start with this idea of the disconnect, but I also know you have some uh, pretty interesting views about what's happening in the investment world and, and, and where people should be thinking about putting their money. But let's get to that in a second. How should the public think about the disconnect issue? The disconnect between how the market is doing and what we've seen in Washington. Is that the question? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I asked Bill Miller this question yesterday. We had a great conversation with a bunch of value managers. And Bill said something that I thought was really smart. He said nothing changed in terms of the market outlook yesterday. Nothing changed in terms of company profits yesterday, earnings, nothing changed. Um, that's now a couple days ago. But I think that point is the right point. The market you know, anticipates the future. And in looking at the future for American businesses, global businesses, despite the travesty that we saw, uh, the images that are hard to forget, that I never expected to see in my lifetime, despite all of that, in terms of the underpinnings, the foundation of the U.S. economy, nothing changed. So when you look out, I mean, you and you look at the, the companies that have done well in the in the markets, clearly the growth companies have been the great winners of this last six months, this last year or so. And people keep talking about value, that there's going to be this moment where you got to get into value. You think now is that moment? I think now is that moment. So first of all, growth has trounced value for 13 years. It has been unbelievable. But the pendulum has swung way too far. When you just look at all of the stats, everything from the multiples on the market to uh, the kind of outperformance we've seen for growth stocks recently versus the historical norms that we should expect, we're in nosebleed territory. We've started to see a crack in the fourth quarter and in the early days of 21. And I think we will see that continue with value starting to take the lead. Value should do better in a recovering economy. We looked at 14 recessions since the Great Depression. Value outperformed in every single one of them, every single one across all sectors. It tends to do better when profits are rising, when rates are going up, which we anticipate at some point will happen. So I think values days, better days are ahead for value, and the wind will be out of the sails for growth, especially if you see rates rise. Do you look at this, though, as a great rotation, meaning that 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 the growth stocks lose at the at, at to the benefit, if you will, of value or that value just starts to 
uh, emerge as a, a more popular class, if you will, of investment? That's a really good, good question. On the one hand, I'm concerned about some names just don't make sense. I mean, you know, the one that we talk about so much is Tesla, the valuation, the market moved last year over 700 percent. It literally having a market cap bigger than, than the entire auto industry. There, there is a disconnect there where you say there's probably a crack ahead for some of those stocks that are just in heady, heady, heady territory, but they don't have to break for value to do well. And I think that's your point. You continue to see, you could continue to see the overall market do well, just growth not do as well as value will do in this next uh, phase of, of economic recovery. We keep talking about value, but let's just break it, break it down for the, the viewer. What kind of stocks are we talking about? What kind of companies? Well, we're talking about a lot of companies that have been orphaned in this current environment, especially, and it was interesting, when we had this conversation yesterday with some of the greatest value managers around, like Mario Gabelli, like Bill Miller, like David Hero, like John Rogers, that their point was that they probably would see more leadership among small cap value than large cap, because small cap stocks have also just been trounced in the last decade versus the large cap, uh, their large cap brethren. And so there are a lot of names out there. John was a big uh, fan of Nielsen. He talked about some of the media names that still haven't done very well. And that's an example of a stock that has been left behind but has a lot of opportunity ahead of it. There have been some smaller names that have had a big move but still are still believed that they could still do well, names like KKR and Lazard. So I think that there's a, there's a lot of opportunity because so much of the market's attention, as you know all too well, has been on the fangs and on the big, big guys and on the growth stocks. We keep talking, uh, uh, we've been recently showing the, the bank stocks, which have been on the rise. Part of that has to do with what you were talking about, I think, which is the prospect of what you think the Fed may or may not do. My question is, when do you think the Fed is actually going to move, if they're going to move at all? I don't know that answer. No one does. However, what I would say is we do think that there'll be more demand uh, on a going forward basis in terms of this economy. And I think because of that, you may see more inflation sooner than what the Fed has stated uh, in terms of this two year period that, where they would be keeping interest rates low. Um, you know, we're anticipating some kind of consumption boom. People have been locked up for so long. The, the savings rate for the typical American is higher than it has been. So there is money there, despite, again, the unevenness in terms of where there is true, true devastation in this economy in terms of lower income individuals. But this consumption boom could lead to, again, more inflation than we anticipate, prices going up, pricing power being there, and ultimately the Fed needing to move. I'm curious, and I don't know if you, you, you asked, you asked that you're, you know, you put this great group of luminaries together, what everybody thinks of Bitcoin. We've been talking about it virtually every morning now for the past month, month and a half, just because it's been, remar it's, it's been remarkable, like Tesla in, in that way. We're now over 40,000 this morning. So the one Bitcoin holder was Bill Miller, and he was the one who said that, you know, he believes it is a state of the art breakthrough in terms of just the system itself and thinks that it is, you know, it has legs. And he was the one who was most bullish on, bullish on Bitcoin. Um, the others had, had no opinion. I probably would be less excited about it, but, you know, uh, that's what makes for uh, uh, different portfolios. What, what was the biggest surprise that came out of that conversation yesterday? 
The biggest surprise for me was there was a lot of agreement around a couple of points. One, that more stimulus will be needed. And this is people with different political persuasions, et cetera. But they all suggested it needed to be more targeted, that the sort of broad-based stimulus will not work. And it really needs to go to the areas, the industries, the individuals, the parts of the geography uh, in this country that really, really need it. And I thought that that was a really good point. They were also indifferent to what uh, what Republican or Democrats hold uh, Congress, the House, et cetera. I thought that was interesting. You know, we all said we would have thought the market would have reacted to uh, the Democrats taking the Senate. And yet uh, there was a lot of indifference there, even amongst the managers. That surprised me that I would have expected the, the market would have preferred um, uh, uh, a, a a Republican Senate and a Democratic House, but uh, they said that they didn't think that that really was going to matter long term. And maybe that's back to, you know, Warren Buffett has that very famous statement, markets are stronger than governments. Right. Uh, before we let you go, you know, we've, we've had lots of conversations about uh, trying to improve diversity on boards and in managements uh, at corporations across the country. And there seemed to be movement on this issue in a way that we haven't seen in quite some time uh, in the last six months, NASDAQ coming out with its proposal uh, recently. I'm wondering whether you think people are going to start investing, and I wonder whether you do this, whether you actually look at the boards of companies today or the management teams of companies today and look at how diverse or not diverse they are and say, you know what, I'm going to invest in them or I'm actually not going to invest in them. So we won't avoid them, but we will invest in them and, and absolutely agitate for change. And we can look at 40 companies over the past almost 40 years, we're 38 years old at Ariel, where we have affected change and led to a diverse director being added to the board. We think that is in the best interest of the company and that is in the best interest of the shareholders. And so we think that this is, is not a fleeting moment. This is something we'll continue. We are very much supportive of what the NASDAQ has done. Adina Friedman is being very, very brave and bold there, just as David Solomon was when he talked about Goldman not bringing companies public without diverse boards. A seat change has happened, and I think that it will be odd to be a company in 21st century business um, without a diverse board. I think it will be very odd. Melody Hobson, always great to see you. Thank you for uh, giving us a bit of a readout and taking us inside the room of uh, that conversation yesterday. And uh, we will see whether this great rotation happens. And uh, we'd love to continue this conversation with you in the future. Thanks. Thanks so much. Next on Squawk Pod, David Rubenstein, the billionaire founder of private equity firm The Carlyle Group, calls for a reevaluation of democracy. And he's looking past placing blame for the siege on the Capitol. I don't think that condemnation today is the most important thing. It's easy to condemn somebody. What we really want to do is protect our democracy. And the most important thing that we should do is worry about what we're going to do over the next 13 days. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. 
We're bringing you today the response of the business community to the events at the U.S. Capitol this week. The stunning images of a riot breaching the congressional chambers made the world stop in shock. Carlyle Group co-founder and co-executive chairman David Rubenstein is a longtime investing legend. He's also the philanthropist who has funded, by the millions of dollars, restoration and historic preservation of monuments in Washington, D.C. Rubenstein spoke on Squawk Box to Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Becky. David, I want to thank you for joining us this morning and coming on. We, we've had statements that we've heard from lots of CEOs, lots of chairmen, lots of business leaders. Um, but it, quite frankly, it's been very difficult to convince any of them to come on air and talk. Understandably, they, they do have concerns about um, what their customers are, are feeling. Um, and I, I just wonder, why did you agree to come on with us this morning? Why did you think that this was so important? Well, I think it's important for the business community to make it clear that we are Americans who care about the democratic process. Profit isn't the only thing we care about. We care about our system of democracy working well. I've been very involved in democracy-related matters for quite some time. And to me, it's clear that democracy had a bit of a meltdown and we need to fix the system. My view is we should probably have a commission to figure out how to deal with the problem of the security for the capital. That's easy to to say we should have a security a commission to analyze that. I think we should also have a commission analyze how we can improve the democratic voting process. For example, it's not a given in the Constitution that the vote count has to occur in January. The election's in November. You could have a certification of a process right after that or within a week or two. It was set up this way in the 1870s when it was harder to get things communicated, harder to count votes and so forth. But this long interim period of time is probably not a plus. And we can see what happened. It enabled people to foster um, uh, agitation and things like that. So I think the remaining days of the country, uh, this administration, we don't have to uh, worry, I think, about national security. I think the national security apparatus will work well. But I do think we should take a longer term perspective on how to make certain that we once again become a beacon for democracy around the world and not a laughing stock for democracy around the world. And that's what we've become today. David, there are a lot of questions about the integrity of the election. And again, those were things that were propagated by the president and by some politicians and by some areas of media and by social media. How do you convince the Americans who have bought into this idea that this was not a legitimate election that they're wrong? How, how do we do that? Do you, would you recommend a commission that looks into the election process as well? The election process, remember, we have an election process that was put together uh, hundreds of years ago. It's been improved somewhat over the years, but still it's a bit antiquated. But most importantly, I, we should remember the big lie theory and what that is. The big lie theory is that if you say something long enough that is so outrageous, uh, people will eventually say, well, it must, must be true because why would anybody say something so outrageous? So we've been engaged in what is really a big lie theory for quite some time. There wasn't really fraud of any measure uh, magnitude in this election. Nobody has found that. No court has found that. So it's a sad situation. But I, nothing we're going to be able to do is going to correct the fact that you have about a 55-45 split in the country one way or the other. Presidential elections do not tend to be 70-30 or 30-70. They tend to be relatively close. Even this election was, uh, was not a, a landslide in the sense that uh, Ronald Reagan had a landslide in, in 1984 or, or, or Lyndon Johnson in 1964. This wasn't a landslide. But it was a significant victory, but not a landslide. But I do think that the country needs to heal. We need to get the best leaders we can in the country to come together. Some distinguished American should head up a commission on the election process, and another distinguished American head up the uh, uh, 
uh, Commission on how to deal with the security of the Capitol and the entire federal government. Now, in the remaining days of this administration, I think it's important that the country be assured that in the event that there is a national security attack of some type, we are prepared to respond. And I think uh, people from the, who control the military and military leaders should should be affirmative in that. I don't think that in the in the end, uh, resignations are going to make a big difference right now. I think it, most importantly is we have work towards January 20th and make certain a new administration can take over and deal effectively when it, takes, when it does effectively get power on January 20th. As somebody who is a business leader who's looking behind the scenes and who's making decisions about whether to buy or sell companies and do some of these things, does it make sense to you? Has it made any difference to your approach to things? Well, if you were to come in from Mars, uh, what happened is something that will scar everybody's memory for quite some time. We all remember where we were on John Kenny's assassination, where we were on 9-11. I suspect we'll all remember what happened yesterday. And the person coming in from Mars would say the market should should go south because it's so uncertain of what's going on. But the truth is, the markets are pretty smart, and they recognize that we have certainty going forward. There's predictability. Uh, we'll have a new president. And I think what markets really want is predictability and certainty. And that's what I think happened with the vote uh, to elect uh, Joe Biden and, and confirm the vote to elect Joe Biden. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if the markets go up just because I, I think the certainty that people want in the markets is down th now there for sure. We've heard a lot of condemnation from business leaders and the statements that they've put out saying that this can't continue. Um, we've also heard calls for, for businesses to make sure they put their money where their mouth is on this front and that they don't work with politicians who are trying to upend um, the democratic process. Do you think any of that will play out or will this too pass? Two things. One is between now and January 20th, I think the focus ought to be to get us there uh, as safely as possible and without uh, uncertainty about where the markets are and where the Congress is and where the national security apparatus is. Post January 20th, I think there's time for some study to correct the process. The democracy is not a perfect process. It never has been. And our democratic system works pretty well, but it's never been perfect. We've had problems before, nothing quite like this. But I do think a, a real examination of how we elect presidents, how each state certify the election, how the voting process can be improved is warranted. And I think everybody would agree that something can be done better than what we're doing right now. David, you've mentioned three or four times just in the last few minutes that you know we, we need to focus and keep our eye on the ball over the next 13 days before the inauguration of Joe Biden. Is this a serious concern that people in Washington are really gaming out at this point? What, what can go wrong in the next 13 days? Well, foreign enemies always want to take advantage of weak spots. And I would say right now the United States looks a little weak overseas. So if you're planning a military attack, I'm not sure that that's probably something that's going to happen. But a cyber attack is something that maybe we're more vulnerable in than we were a few days ago. So we need to be careful. And I do think that if the Democrats and Republicans can work together for a change, that would be a good thing for the country. And the markets would certainly like that. Let's see if over the next 13 days, the Democrats and Republicans in the Congress and around the country can say, we have a higher priority, which is to make certain our democratic system works and works well. That's the highest priority. Remember, democracy is something that we fought for. Many, many people have given their lives for this, for this country and this democracy. And I do think that over the next 13 days, we can put aside some of our differences, come together. And I think the leadership in Congress, the Democrats and Republicans really want that. They've, they've been through a, a scare, and it's a scare that they're not going to forget for some time. And I think if they want to really help the country, they ought to come together and make certain through statements to the public over the next day or so that the country is working well and the system of democracy we have 
is not perfect, but it's working well and it'll get us through the next 13 days and hopefully the next four years at least. David, question for you. So many of the comments uh, and statements that have been put out by business leaders have condemned the events, but have not condemned the president, um, in some cases obliquely, um, with the exception of, of, of uh, the Manufacturers Association, which has called for the uh, uh, impeachment or 25th Amendment to be uh, considered. I would ask you, would you condemn the president on air right now? And do you believe that he should either be impeached or the 25th Amendment should be uh, put in place and used right now? Well, the 25th Amendment was set up for some different purposes. I used to work for Senator Birch Bayh, who was a principal author of that, and that became the law in 1967. It has worked uh, in some cases, for example, when a vice president uh, resigned as Spiro Agnew and we had a, uh, a new vice president come in, uh, uh, Gerald Ford. Um, but I, I, I don't think that condemnation today is the most important thing. It's easy to condemn somebody. It, you know, it, it's not very difficult to say somebody's done something wrong. It's just terrible. What we really want to do is protect our democracy. And the most important thing that we should do is worry about what we're going to do over the next 13 days, how we make sure the government works well, we're protected against uh, foreign enemies, cyber attacks, and other kinds of things, and that in the next four years, we make certain that we have a process that works better than this process. Clearly, having a but gap David, between David, uh, November and uh, and now uh, for, for counting uh, votes is probably do, longer do, than we do should you think have. Do you think that you should have? Do you think that you should have condemned what was taking place before this? Then, well, I would hardly hold myself out as a perfect person. I'm not a public official, and I'm not a member of Congress, and so forth. But as a person in the business world, I wasn't happy with what's happening. But I don't know that my voice means as much as the voices of people who've been elected to hold positions in government and and so forth, or people who have uh, been confirmed by the Congress and so forth. But I think the most important thing now is to figure out David, how to get David, through the next 13 days and then make sure we have a healthy new administration. David, but here's the thing, and this is the thing that I've been trying to just grapple with all morning. You know, over the last several years, business leaders like yourself have talked about values and social responsibility, one Carlisle, all of this. And it can't be that all of a sudden your voice doesn't matter on this issue, but it does matter on these other issues. That's the thing that I just don't understand. Well, I, would, I wish my voice mattered on, on, on all issues. I wish people would listen to me all the time. I don't think they do. On certain matters, they might. But I don't want to make myself as a business person uh, sound as if I have all the answers to solve the government problems. That's not the general role of business. But business can do a pretty good thing in weighing in at appropriate times. I think the business community is weighing in now, saying enough is enough. Let's figure out how to get the Democrats and Republicans to work together not worry about petty differences and improve the electoral process so this doesn't happen again. Hey, David, I, I do want to thank you for joining us this morning. As I said, it's um, very difficult to convince CEOs and business leaders to come on and talk right now because they're still trying to, to weigh what happened. Uh, but we appreciate your coming on and, and for the very thoughtful um, ideas you have about how to change this. Um, we hope to be back in touch with you again soon to hear more about it. Thank you. Thanks very much. We'll be right back. And that's Squawk Pod for today and for this first week, just a week of 2021. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. If you've been listening for a while, tell us what you think. We're on Twitter at Squawk CNBC or leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. 
We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a good weekend.